It is true. It is true. He is risen today. You know, um, it was, I don't know, 11 months ago? 11 months ago that the Washington Capitals won the Stanley Cup. It doesn't compare to this. It doesn't compare. No news is as good as this news. Jesus Christ is risen today. Praise God. Oh. I am so glad you're here. I am so glad you're here. Welcome to Grace Church. We preach Jesus Christ crucified and risen and coming again. So I invite you, please, to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, please. Acts chapter 2, it's on page 910. If you're using the Bible under the seat in front of you, page 910, Acts chapter 2. You know, I did a lot of uh, praying and uh, considering uh, in reference to this morning's message. And I uh, decided not to preach my own message, but rather the message of the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2. Because it says all I need to say this morning. So if you are in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22, Acts 2 verse 22. I'm reading from the King James Version. Please follow along in the Bible you have. The Bible says this. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you. As you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the, joy, the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ 
to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This, Jesus, hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended unto the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Mm, amen. Let's bow our heads and pray, please. Mm. Lord, thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. For the truth of your word. And the privilege of proclaiming it. Jesus Christ is alive today. In that truth, we have hope. Thank you, God. Thank you. And thank you for the morning. Thank you for all that's already transpired. Thank you for the privilege of raising our voices to praise you in song. Thank you for the privilege of gathering in this room. And thank you for the promise that where two or three are gathered, in Jesus' name, there you are in our midst. <laughs> we welcome you here, Lord. And I ask that your Holy Spirit might do a work here do a work throughout this building, not just in this room, but in our Sunday school rooms for our children's sake, for the adults who are meeting. Oh, God, do a work here at Grace Church and grow our faith. May we leave here desiring to spread the news to the world that Jesus is risen. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 2 uh, describes the events of the day at Pentecost. Uh, this occurred uh, about 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And according to what the Bible says, there are 120 followers of Jesus Christ who are uh, gathered together. These include the apostles. And uh, just as Jesus promised in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, and in Acts uh, chapter 1, verses 5 and 8, uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon these 120 uh, followers of Jesus. And it's from that point 
God's promises fulfilled that the Holy Spirit's presence will be permanent in the life of every believer. On this particular day, the Holy Spirit's coming caused a, uh, an incredible work so that these 120 followers of Christ began to speak in tongues. And these tongues are actual languages. This is not uh, a babbling or angelic uh, language at all. These are true, real languages so that uh, people who do not know Chinese were suddenly speaking Chinese. People who do not know Japanese were suddenly speaking Japanese and Spanish and French and all of Swahili, all of the languages known. And throughout Jerusalem, thousands and thousands of Jews had gathered from the countries surrounding the Mediterranean Sea, all gathered for this day of Pentecost. This was a Jewish feast that was happening. So thousands of people have come to observe this Jewish feast. And they're hearing people speak in their own languages. People who surely don't know their languages are suddenly speaking their language. And it captures their attention. The Bible says that as these followers of God are speaking in these languages, they're telling of the wonders of God. And I imagine they're saying, it's happened. Just like he said it would, it's happened. The Holy Spirit has now come upon us. There are some, however, who see this happening and attribute all of it to drunkenness. They look at these followers of God who are speaking other languages and accuse them of being drunk. And that's when Peter steps up to preach. Now let me tell you something about this. I find this interesting. By the way, I'm walking in the light. Walking in the light. If you weren't here two weeks ago, you don't understand what I'm talking about. I'm walking in the light. Peter, this man who just over seven weeks ago abandoned Christ and who denied knowing Jesus three times. See what the power of the resurrection does in the life of the believer. This man who was a coward when he was needed most now steps up in front of thousands to preach. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear. You know that word literally means cowardice? God hasn't given us a spirit of cowardice, but of power. We just sang about it. That power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, you have it in you. It is in you. 
Peter used it. And he preached. And uh, I like this. He made it easy for the preacher. Because he preached a five-point outline. He preached a five-point outline. I'm going down every one of them. One at a time. He even uses an illustration. I don't even have to come up with an illustration. He took one from the Old Testament and applied it here. So all of this is Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. Look down with me, please, as we begin. Point number one, Jesus' life. Of course, he gets their attention, you men of Israel. Hear these words. Now, he's already been preaching. I'm coming into this a little after his beginning. Hear these words for emphasis. Jesus of Nazareth, a man. I'm going to stop there for a minute. Jesus of Nazareth, a man. Peter begins by introducing Jesus by his earthly name. This is how Jesus was known as a man, not as the Son of God. They rejected that. So he introduces him simply as a man. The one who claimed to be God was thought of by you, thousands of Jews, Peter speaking to, as only a man. But verse 22 continues. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you. Jesus proved himself to be God. How? How did he prove it? Look down, verse 22. By miracles and wonders and signs that God did through Jesus in your presence, he proved he was from God. He says, what you saw him do proved what he claimed. Things that only God would be able to do. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He made the lame walk. He raised the dead. None of this happened behind closed doors. None of this happened behind closed doors. This was a public ministry. You saw this. And he proved to be who he was. You know the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John take up a lot of chapters talking about all of this. Describing who Jesus was, what he did, how he lived. That was so that people would read these words and know that he was who he claimed to be. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I write these things so that you will know that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God. That's what John wrote at the end of his gospel. In only one verse, Peter does the same. He wants his hearers to know that Jesus, the man who was found guilty of blasphemy, claiming to be the Son of God, was indeed God. Sent by God. 
as the promised Messiah. Jesus' life, verse 22. Oh, verse 23. Jesus' death, look down. Him, that is Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. The determinate counsel is God's fixed purpose. God had a purpose in all of this. And for knowledge of God. What Peter's saying here is the crucifixion of Jesus was no accident. This is no accident. It was a result of God's set purpose for us. And his predetermined will. Continue in verse 23. You have taken... The you there is the Jews. He's pointing at the people he's speaking to. You took him up. And you delivered him to wicked men. That's what it says in the King James. I think other versions say lawless men. You turned him over to the Gentiles. Specifically the Romans. You, Jews, handed Jesus over to the Gentiles to be crucified and slain. Everyone is guilty, Peter says. Everyone is guilty. The Jews and the Gentiles all are guilty. And just because God ordained all of this to happen, no one can be absolved of their guilt. We are all guilty. Let me pause here. For just a moment. This is a Steve Salvis parenthesis, okay? Just kind of interjecting something that I, is really interesting to me. I'm not going to go into specific detail about the crucifixion, but I do want to share something from Psalm chapter 22. Just listen to these verses Psalm 22, verses 14 through 18. Listen to these verses. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue cleaveth, cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me unto the, dust, unto the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. 900 years before Jesus was crucified. 900 years before his crucifixion and death, David wrote these words. And he is describing the crucifixion and what happens. Sheer exhaustion, thirst, agony, difficulty breathing, a piercing of the hands and the feet, 
being nailed to the cross. It even talks about his garments being parted. You know, the executioners were allowed to uh, cast lots to divide up his, uh, the, the criminal's belongings. The one who was crucified, whatever he had, they could be divided up among the executioners kind of as a tip. Right? You know, you're, you're killing this man, you can have his stuff. So decide among yourselves who gets it. 900 years before all of this happens, David wrote about it. Can I tell you something? Crucifixion wasn't known by the Jews when David wrote these words. Crucifixion was not a form of capital punishment when David wrote this, as he's describing what, ha- what is going to happen to Jesus on the cross. David had no idea what crucifixion was, and yet by the inspiration of God, he writes these words in Psalm 22. It was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later before a crucifixion became an acceptable form of capital punishment. And it wasn't until 63 B.C. when the Romans uh, took over uh, the, uh, Israel, the Jews that they even introduced it to Jewish life. I find that interesting. I, that's amazing. God is incredible. Point number three in Peter's sermon Verse 24, Jesus' resurrection. Whom God, verse 24, if you're following along, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Peter says it was impossible that Jesus could remain dead. Two reasons. First of all, because of who he was. As God, he simply could not die. God is not dead. Number two, because of the faithfulness of God to his word. You can trust what God says in his holy word. And to prove the point, Peter then inserts his own illustration. And he goes back to the Old Testament. Look down at verse 25. He's quoting here from Psalm chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. For David, verse 25, for David speaketh concerning him, that is Jesus, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, that is rest in the grave, in hope and confidence, Because of the resurrection, verse 27, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. What's your Bible say there? Hades. Hades. Thank you. King James uses the word hell. Hades. 
when we die, there is a separation of the spirit from the body. The body goes to the grave. The spirit goes to this unseen world. And as David's writing this in Psalm 16, it's described as Hades. This, we know the spirit goes somewhere. It goes to this unseen world that will not leave my soul there. My soul will not remain in Hades, he writes. He's not talking about himself. Let's continue. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. My body will not decay in the grave. What happens when we're buried? We turn to dust. Eventually, our bodies decay. And we turn to dust. Thou wilt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. My body will not decay. I will not turn to dust. That's what he's saying. Verse 28. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. That is the countenance of God. As I sit at the right hand of God, his countenance is constantly shining upon me. There can be nothing but joy in that. So in verses 29 to 31, Peter explains his illustration from the Old Testament. He explains what Psalm 16 is talking about. I like the way he begins. I really like this. Men and brethren, verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely unto you of the patriarch David. Now listen, listen. Peter's talking to thousands of Jews here. David is a national hero and the greatest king in Israel. He says, let me just speak plainly to you, please. I don't want to offend you about your hero, but there's something you need to know. Let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he, David, is both dead and buried. And his sepulcher is with us unto this day. David is dead. He is buried. You can go to his grave even today to visit it. He's still there, Peter says. Look at verse 30. Therefore, being a prophet, referring to David, and knowing that God hath sworn, hath sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. This oath, David, knowing that God has made an oath to him, said this in Psalm 132, verse 11. The Lord hath sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I, the Lord, set upon thy throne. And when thy days be fulfilled, this is Nathan 
talking to David of the words of God, the prophet Nathan telling David, and when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee and thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever, forever. These are the promises of the Messiah to come. There is one who is coming. And he will sit upon your throne, David. That's a promise. Peter says this in verse 31. He, David, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. He spake these words of Christ in Psalm 16, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Whose spirit did not remain separated from his body? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Whose body did not decay, but rather was raised from death? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Peter says he's talking about Jesus. David's tomb is still occupied. Jesus' tomb is empty today. It's empty. So back to point number three in the message. This Jesus, verse 32. This Jesus hath God raised up. Jesus' resurrection. This Jesus hath God raised up. Whereof we are all witnesses. This very same Jesus of whom I'm speaking, God is raised up, and we're all witnesses to it. All 120 of us have seen him, and we're testifying to it. We saw him alive. We saw him die. We saw him alive. And I can't hold it back. I've got to tell you about it. I've got to tell you about it. Point number four. Jesus Exalted, verse 33, therefore being by the right hand of God, exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. Not only did we witness him alive after death, but we also witnessed his ascension into heaven, Acts 1-9, to be seated at the right hand of the Father. Oh, and, and this was spoken of as well by David in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, verse 34, for David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself. He wrote these words, Jews. The Lord said unto my Lord, the Lord, that is God, said to my Lord, that is Jesus, sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. And his last point, in his five-point outline, Peter gets to the heart of the matter. This, verse 36, is the heart of the matter. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord 
and Christ. This same Jesus whom you crucified has been without doubt raised from the dead and exalted at the right hand of God. And he now reigns as both God and king. The Bible says as Lord and Christ. Christ means king or anointed one, that promised one from the Old Testament. Lord refers to, to uh, his deity. He is God. And that's important because in Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, what? Jesus is Lord. And believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That's Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. And that's my message to you this morning. That Jesus Christ lived and proved himself to be the Son of God. That Jesus Christ died an awful death as your substitution. He paid your sin debt on the cross. And that Jesus Christ lives today. Can I tell you something? The resurrection is the exclamation point of all of this. It's the exclamation point. It's what says all of this is true. If Jesus were left in the grave, we would wonder. But he raised from the grave. He left the grave. People saw him. He's alive today. He's alive, church. He is alive today. That puts the exclamation, pardon me for screaming, this just excites me. This excites me. That puts the exclamation point on all of what happened. Everything he said and everything he did, it's true. It's true. That's the message of Peter, but I can't stop there, okay? I can't stop there. I need to share what happened Next. Look at verse 37 for just a moment. The Bible says this. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. I think the ESV says they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. Literally, they were stunned at what they just heard. They were stunned by this. It was as if they were punched violently in the chest. Hear this. They heard it. They got the message. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, look at the question they asked. Men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we do now? I realize what you're saying. I realize it's true. And I'm guilty. I'm responsible for his death. What can I do now? How can I fix this? 
There is desperation in that question. Please, there must be something. There must be something I can do. And here's Jesus' invitation. Verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, repent. Change your mind about Jesus. This man you rejected as a blasphemer. Change your mind about him and embrace him today as who he is, the Son of God. Claim it today. Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repent and be baptized. Listen, listen. Baptism does not save you. Peter's saying, repent. Change your mind about Christ and that, but that's something that, that's a heart issue. That's something in, that happens inside here. The outward sign is the baptism. The outward sign is my proclaiming to you and to anyone watching that I am now a Christ follower. What I've done in my heart, I want to show to the world. That's what baptism is. That's what Peter is saying here. He's not saying the baptism will save you. He's saying, repent, and then show the world what you've done by being baptized. So here it is. Here it is. I don't know if I'll ever get another chance to preach on an Easter Sunday. I have no idea. The Lord knows. But if this is my last opportunity, I can't think of a better message and a better way to go out. I really can't. Answer these questions to yourselves. What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about him? Do you believe he was the son of God? Do you believe that? Do you believe he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God? Do you believe he died on the cross as the payment for your sin debt, taking on the punishment that you deserve? Do you believe that? Do you believe God raised him from the dead? That's why we're here today. That's why we're here. Because God raised him from the dead. We celebrate that today and every Sunday here. At grace. Here's a question. Can you identify a specific day in your life when you did real business with Jesus? When you confessed that you're a sinner? When you confessed your need for a Savior? When you confessed that Jesus is Lord of your life. Can you think of that day? Does that day come to mind as you sit where you are today? If not, then I hope you're asking yourselves now, based on everything I've just heard this morning, in desperation, what can I do? 
I pray that today is the day of salvation for you. Please don't wait another day. Please come. The elders would love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you. Pastor Dennis would love to talk to you. Courtney, others in this room would love to talk to you. We'd like to show you how you can know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Listen, please. Heaven is not the goal here. Heaven is not the goal. Heaven is the reward. The goal is Jesus. Knowing him and making him known is the goal. Honoring him with my life is the goal. The reward is heaven. Jesus is the goal. I invite you to know him today. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for the truth of your word. And I'm thankful for your grace. And I'm thankful for the morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit will do a work in this room even now. Right this moment, please, dear God, move among your people. Move among every heart in this room. May we do serious introspection. We're here because Jesus is alive, and he brings new life. I pray that everyone who leaves this room today will know that new life and will know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. Please, God, please. Oh, thank you. We serve a risen Savior. Thank you, God, and amen.